the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In the Lord's Prayer, we ask Him to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, how are we to understand this request? Glad you asked. We'll talk about it next on Abounding Grace. Asking the Lord to forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the subject of today's broadcast of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Hi there, and welcome to our program today. As we continue our series on the Lord's Prayer, we take again another look at this fifth petition found in the Lord's Prayer and what it means for us. Please join us. Here now is Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast. I owe you a perfect life. I owe you an eternity in hell. I'm asking you to forget all of that. I'm asking you to cancel out all my debts that I confess I justly owe you. I'm asking you to never make mention of those sins and those debts anymore and completely obliterate them from your books. We're asking God to never hold our sins against us, that we have always missed the mark with Him, beloved. Don't you think that's pretty bold? Lord, I know I'm a sinner that deserves to go to hell, and you're a holy God, but I'm asking you to just forget it. Please, don't let me experience any of the consequences that my sins deserve. Now, how in the world can a sinner ask such a thing of a holy God of inflexible justice? Well, we're going to see that a little later. Now, notice the word as. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. That little word as, which we're going to look at more next week, does not tell us the basis of the reason for forgiveness. You see, there is all the difference in the world between the prayer, Father, forgive us our debts because we have forgiven our debtors, then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, we're not saying, Lord, I've done such a good job at forgiving other people. I mean, anybody who hurts my feelings, I forgive. I never hold a grudge. I never want to seek revenge. I love everybody, and I have a warm place in my heart for them. There is no one that I'm mad at. There's no one I'm bitter toward. Lord, I'm such a wonderful person. Please forgive me. If you're such a wonderful person, why do you need forgiveness? The point is that he's not saying, forgive me because I have done so well. Because that would be opposed to biblical Christianity, both the Old and New Testament. For salvation is not by works, but by grace. He is saying, Lord, as I forgive other people, please forgive me. In other words, as we'll see another Sunday, 
the forgiveness of other people in our past, as imperfect as it may be, is evidence that we have real faith. It is evidence that we have put our faith in Christ and that God has forgiven our sins because of Him and not because of anything in us. So remember that little word, as. And then we have the word us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The identity of the pronoun us is crucial to a correct interpretation of this text. In other words, who is the person that can pray the fifth petition and know that God will answer him? Well, we see in the text that it is that person who knows God as his Father who is in heaven. Everyone who knows God as his Father in heaven and sees himself as God's child may be confident that when he asks God to forgive him of all of his sins and blot out all of his debts, God will do so. But you may be asking, how does God become your father? How, how do you become his child? John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So it is through receiving Christ. It is through believing the revelation of God in Christ that we become the children of God. And without that faith in Christ, we are still members of the enemy's family, and God is our creator and our judge, but he is not our Father. He is only the Father of those who come to Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why this prayer has not been called so much the Lord's Prayer, because remember from before, the Lord never prayed this prayer Himself. It is a prayer meant for us. It has been called the children's prayer. This is a prayer for God's children. This prayer is not for everyone. It is only for those who know themselves to be God's children through faith in Christ. And like any child who loves his parents, the moment he realizes that he has grieved his father by sinning, he wants to confess it, and he wants to be asked to be forgiven and be assured that he is forgiven. That is why this is called the children's prayer. Forgive us does not mean anyone in the whole wide world that utters these words. It means anyone in the whole wide world who knows God as his Father through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a great implication in these words, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It is the implication of any prayer for confession of sin that is true and honest. And that is self-examination. We have examined ourselves. We know what we are. John Calvin wrote one of the most important books in all of the Western civilization in 1536 when he was in his early 20s. And out of this book, The Institutes of Christian Religion, the best of Western civilization was born. And I want to read to you the very first sentence of his institutes. 
He says, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. When you know God and you know yourself, he says, in essence, you know about everything you need to know. You have that wisdom that comes from above. You know God through his word, and you know yourself through his word and self-examination. Not only are most Christians today strangers to the true and living God, whose God is just a bunch of small gods, but they are also, by and large, strangers to themselves. And that's why they have such a low view of God and such a high view of themselves. Because they don't know either. They don't know how big God is and they don't know how small they are. They've never taken the time to look deep down in their hearts to see what's there. Because they're afraid to find out what's there. I hope you're not, beloved. They would have to admit that they are not what they want other people to think they are. So if we're going to pray, Lord, forgive us our debts, that means we have to look into our own hearts and say, I know what my, heart, my debts are. I don't know them all. You know, Calvin said we, we're only aware of one one hundredth of the sins that are in our hearts And I actually think he's being quite optimistic. There's far more sin in us than we believe. I don't know how sinful you may think that I might be, but I'm far more than you can imagine, and far more than I probably even believe myself. A Christian who prays, Forgive us our debts as someone who knows himself. He searched his own soul. I know it's not an easy thing to say. It's not a light thing to say, forgive me my debts. But Lord, forgive me my debts. I know what they are. Listen to J.I. Packer. Christians must be willing to examine themselves And let others examine them for the detecting of day-to-day shortcomings. The discipline of self-examination, though distasteful to our pride, is necessary because our Holy Father in heaven will not turn a blind eye to his children's failings as human parents so often and unwisely do. So what God knows about our sins... We need to know, brothers and sisters, too. So we may repent and ask for pardon for whatever has given him offense. It takes courage. It takes great faith. Lord, show me what you think of me. Lord, help me to see the things in my life that you see in my life. You know, time and again in the Psalms, the writers were painfully, severely honest with God in describing the sin that was in their hearts. Why could they do that? Because they knew that nothing in time or eternity, in life or in death, in heaven or in hell, 
shall separate them from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when we look at the terrible, dark sins in our lives as Christians, we rejoice that Jesus Christ died for those sins as well. And the Holy Spirit is working in us to remove those and help us get the victory over them as well. So confessing things to God doesn't separate us from Him. He already knows about them. And He loves us nevertheless. So great implication of praying for forgiveness of sins is that you know yourself. You know God. You know God wants to hear your confession, and you know that nothing can separate you from the mercy of God, whatever you find deep down in your heart as a believer. It means you're going to search your own soul and pray that God will give you the eyes to see yourself, at least in some measure, the way He sees you. And beloved, I have to be honest with you. I don't want to see myself the way God sees me. I'm not sure I could take it. I'm not even sure I could actually survive that kind of knowledge. So I'm going to retract just a, a little bit and pray that God would somewhat allow me to see myself the way that he sees me. Now, what are the reasons that a Christian would pray this fifth petition? Our catechism, always reflecting Scripture, gives us three reasons, and they are all right at the heart of the gospel. The first reason for praying the fifth petition is that we and everyone else are guilty both of original and actual sin. You see here again, you're not going to pray this petition unless you know yourself. And the New Testament is unequivocal regarding the sinful condition of every human being. We are all sinners. We have all transgressed the law of God. We all stand guilty before Him and are under His condemnation. Were it not for the Lord Jesus Christ. The law of God condemns every single human being for the smallest infraction of that law. Let me read to you Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are. And the English says, under the law. But the Greek says something else. It says, in the law. It is using a preposition that never, ever, ever means under. It always means in. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are in the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. What is it to be in the law? It is to live in that realm where the law reigns. It is to live in that realm where you stand under the authority of God. And if you live in transgression of that law, it condemns you. And who lives in the realm where God's law reigns? All Jews and all Gentiles. That is you and that is me. Every single human being on the face of this earth stands condemned before God's law. And the purpose of that law is to shut every mouth 
that tries to justify and alleviate the wickedness of his life and pass the buck on to other reasons that all the world may become accountable to God. That is the place that we must start if we're going to know ourselves and know God. We have to understand that we are guilty sinners and we stand condemned before God for original sin and for actual sins. Now remember, last week I talked just a bit about original sin. I talked to you about Adam. I said that he was the representative of the entire human race. God set it up that way, and whatever Adam did, he acted for all the rest of us, so that whatever Adam did, we experienced the consequences of. Had Adam lived perfectly, we would live perfectly and live forever. He didn't. He sinned against God. He disobeyed him, and he ate of that forbidden fruit. So because you were in his loins, and because he was our covenant representative, we have now inherited a sinful nature. We stand condemned by that original sin, and unless we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be condemned throughout all eternity. Just as you inherit certain physical traits from your parents, you inherit this desire to sin against God and the guilt of Adam's sin because he represented you. You say, well, I don't like that, Pastor. I'd rather represent myself. You know, I've actually had people tell me that. And beloved, that is the height of pride. Here Adam was sinless in the Garden of Eden, freshly created. And you're thinking that you, with all of the effects of sin in your life, in this sinful culture under the dominion of Satan, that you can do better job than sinless Adam did in the Garden of Eden? Are you crazy? Not only that, but if you don't want representation in Eden, how come you want it on Calvary? I don't want Adam representing me, but I'm sure glad Christ represented me on the cross. Well, why did he represent you on the cross? To set you free from Adam's representation. And the same God that set up the plan of redemption through Christ, the covenantal head of the new covenant, is the God who set up your relationship with Adam. So sorry, beloved. That relationship is intact and it's in force because that is the way that God established it. And down through the history of the people of God and the human race, not only... Do we stand guilty for the sins we commit every second of every day? But we stand condemned for Adam's guilt, for that original sin that we inherited down through our generations. Now, do you know how most people see that? They see it as an excuse for their sins. They say, well, the reason I'm a sinner is not my fault any more than it's my fault that I have blue eyes. It's not my fault that I look, with, look like my daddy, and it's not my fault I'm a sinner. I mean, I was born into this world, and that's the way things were handed to me. So I have all these weaknesses because I inherited Adam's sin all the way back through the generations. So it's their fault. Well, let me tell you, that's not what David said. When you read Psalm 51, where David confesses a broken heart 
over his adultery with Bathsheba, do you remember what he said? He said in verse 5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's, he is saying, Lord, it, he wasn't saying, Lord, it wasn't my fault I committed adultery with Bathsheba. I inherited the adultery syndrome, you see, from my mother and daddy all the way back to Adam and Eve. No. He's confessing his original sin. He's saying, Lord, I'm not only guilty of the sin I committed, but I'm guilty of sins I inherited from my mother all the way back to Adam. I'm guilty. God, forgive me for all of these things. And you see, the point is, that is why we need the fifth petition. Because we and everyone else on this planet are guilty of both original and actual sin, and we need forgiveness of sins and should pray the fifth petition every day of our lives. Because every day that we sin, our sins alienate us from God and from each other and from ourselves and from this planet. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you so that He does not hear. And that's as true today, my friend, as it ever was. And that is why we need, with all of our heart and soul, to pray the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Because we and everyone else on the face of this earth stand guilty before God for original sin of Adam, as well as all the other sins we commit every day of our lives. Well, I'm going to end here except for one very simple, short application. And the next week, we'll return to look at further reasons why we should pray, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Beloved, it is literally impossible. It is literally impossible for us to understand the loving grace of our God, who is willing to forgive such ungrateful scum as ourselves. Even in our redeemed state, we are such filthy wretches, totally unworthy of God's mercy, and yet He showers us richly with His blessings every single day. How is it that such a holy God would consider such prideful people as us and adopt us into his family? How could he hang his son on the cross of Calvary to justify such putrid beings and then give us new lives? I don't know. I really don't. Except that in Scripture it says it pleased him. I don't know. Because such an infallible, unfathomable love to this sinner is not understandable. But His Word tells us that's why He sent His Son, the second person of the Trinity, to live among us and die such a miserable death so that our sins can be forgiven. We must never, ever take our sins for granted, nor our forgiveness. And we must try our best to understand just how wretched we are so that we can truly grasp as best we can how great 
His love for us is. And then pray sincerely. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402 And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless.